0: You are now tuning in to the Own the Build podcast. Join Sealing's very own Paul Hemming, where each week he interviews experts from the world of construction and asks all the important questions around intelligent construction management. Hello and welcome to episode 74 of the Own the Build podcast with me, Paul Hemming. Thank you to everyone who continues to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't, please do. It really is something that I would like you to do, so please do that for us. The title of today's show is Welcome to the Neighbourhood, the Phoenix Projects. And we are joined today by Jonathan Smales, Executive Chairman at Human Nature, who are a development company designing and building New neighborhoods where it is easy and enjoyable to live a low impact life i've already started to do some research and chat with Jonathan about this project in the past and I can assure you this is going to be a highly interesting episode how's everything going for you today, Jonathan
1: uh, well, thank you. no pressure <laughs> then from that introduction uh paul now i'm good, thank you, and looking forward to the Looking forward to the chat.
0: I'm very much looking forward to it as well. One thing I wanted to ask you about, seeing as we've discussed it briefly offline, was the fact that, as I understand it, you lived in Malmo in Sweden for quite some time. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I did. And my wife was um, head of sustainable and healthy living for IKEA Global. Oh, really? And they have this rather uh, wonderful headquarters designed by a extraordinary Danish architect called daughter Mandrup uh, and uh, we decided we would just move there when she got the job because I've always been a Scandifile. you know I've, I love I love everything e- even the climate I love in Scandinavia I love the yeah politics. no, it's ama- it's amazing place there. isn't it oh man and um, so yeah it was uh, it was a life-changing experience actually it was really but
0: tell me Jonathan does a health, like I forget exactly the title you said your wife had, sustainable and healthy living at Ikea. Does that include a reduction in the amount of meatballs and dime cake at Ikea? (laughs) Because I'm a big fan (laughs) of both.
1: Yeah, um, it does actually. So she launched the veggie ball range in London. Oh, okay,
0: I've seen that actually.
1: Seven or eight years ago. And she launched it by accident in response to a question from a journalist on the Daily Telegraph. She wasn't supposed to be announcing it that Evening. It was a, it was an event for the IPCC report, and she was a panelist, and, and 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 this journalist asked a similar question about meatballs, saying, "How could IKEA, you know, have this policy?" But there, they were with these high-carbon meatballs. So she rather blurted out that they were developing this new range of veggie balls, and I'm not kidding. It was world news. It was world news. It was <laughs> unbelievable. She went completely white. Because, you know, it's very disciplined. It's very Swedish, right? You don't blurt. You don't let things out like that. Well, I have it's to literally... say, I did.
0: I have been to, I have spent the first half of this year, basically, what feels like in Ikea. You know what it's like when you go there. You go two or three times and it feels like you've been there forever. And I have to say, I did see those there. And I also saw the dime cake. And I have to say, I'm a bit of a sucker for the dime cake. It just yeah, gets me all the it. yeah. It's just well, they too have good, a... isn't
1: it? In Sweden, there's this thing called fika, which is cake and coffee at three o'clock in the afternoon. And every, everyone does it. You know, it's not like a... It's not a casual thing. Are you um, missing that, Jonathan? I, I used to do it all day long. I didn't wait until three o'clock. Are you still you doing know.
0: it now? You're back in the UK, though. Oh, it's not as easy.
1: The cake and the coffee's not quite as good, actually.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. I, can imagine. I've been, I have been to uh, Malmo, actually. I once, I've got some friends who live in Copenhagen. And I once took... A train from Malmo to um, across from the bridge. Kopenhagen, sorry, to Malmo, across the Is it the or- Orson Bridge? I forgot it. it. It's know the bridge it. of
1: the television series, you know, where exactly, yeah, the, the, the corpse is, is like, halfway across. Hmm.
0: It's absolutely amazing. actually, for anyone listening, I suggest that is a, such an amazing trip and it's an amazing feat of architecture and engineering, isn't it?
1: It is, and as and a piece of yeah, boringly, but regional geography where. They 've effectively brought the two cities together. It's such a wonderful piece of infrastructure with a very good train, so you can be in the centre of Copenhagen in twenty minutes from the centre of malmo so it's like it's like one regional city now with a sea in between. Ah, just love it. yeah Copenhagen for me now is the world 's best city oh, uh, really? obviously Man- Manchester's a close second but.
0: I'm Um, actually from Birmingham, so I would say Birmingham, then we can give (laughs) Umar, the producer Manchester, followed by Copenhagen. (laughs) But I feel feel like we could accidentally talk about uh, Sweden and Denmark and IKEA and Dime Cake for all of this episode, if we're not careful. So rather than doing that, which some of the listeners might actually prefer, Jonathan, let's talk about what we've come here to talk about. To start the conversation... Could you explain who you are, what your business is, and what you're doing today?
1: Yeah, I kind of wish I could explain who I am. I've had such a strange journey, uh, in a way. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an urban geographer that got into environmental issues in the late 70s, and they've plagued me ever since. They've sort of changed my life. I was managing director of Greenpeace and international trustee for six years at a time when the world was discovering there is this thing called the environment and that we're having this big impact on it. The French sunk the Rainbow Warrior in 1986. We had the Chernobyl uh, nuclear accident in 87. Mrs. Thatcher made a very famous speech at the United Nations about the state of the world's environment and climate change. Uh, We launched our first climate change campaign in 1989 Uh, Greenpeace was growing. It was an incredible time. Spent 10 years reclaiming coal mines in South Yorkshire with ecological remediation and tree planting and building sustainability pavilions and exhibitions, energy systems. Had a consultancy then for 15 years based in London, but working all over the country. So we were sustainability advisors on the Olympics, the Olympic legacy. Um, on East Manchester, actually, uh, around the Commonwealth Games Stadium. Um, Yeah, worked in in Newcastle, and we were really um, advising landowners and government and local authority and developers on sustainability, how to to plan and design major projects to achieve outcomes in sustainability. Um, and, And now I'm a developer, so, at Greenpeace, we bought an animal testing laboratory as a. We just needed a new office. We were growing really quickly. And this building in Islington uh, was available and it had been an animal testing laboratory. And, um, you know, we at Greenpeace, we had no idea how to design a refurbishment project or do a green building. No one did really in those days. This was 1989. And so we worked out quite quickly you just have to have a really good professional team, a so great architect. The engineer now is like a world-famous environmental engineer. That was his first project on his own, and I just loved it. I loved working with design. I loved the tangibility of building, making things happen, not just talking about stuff. And now here we are, working on a big scale in in Lewis on a whole urban neighbourhood, which is, you know, it's just a, an incredible privilege.
0: Yeah, no, it, it it completely looks it, and so sustainability has been at the centre, at the heart, if you like, Jonathan, of everything you have done, really. Uh, MD, former MD at Greenpeace kind of speaks for itself, to be honest with you on that. What is human nature?
1: Yeah. Well, human nature, our mission, (laughs) uh, our mission isn't about development per se. It's about, we, we, we talk about creating a new social imagination and a new idea that, that gets into people's heads that we can change the way we live in a good way while arresting climate change and regenerating nature and indeed regenerating society to to address the kind of social divisions and the the lack of kind of shared purpose and values that, that seems to exist in this country now and that working at the scale of a neighborhood, you could do rather a lot on those agendas. It's a big enough scale where you've got energy systems, mobility services, uh, you design the streets for cycling and walking, urban farming, urban gardening, shared living, shared resources, shared roof space, um, community facilities, vegetarian cafes, IKEA veg- vegetarian balls. Um, Dime cake? If, if for you, um, <laughs> you. But really what it's about is, is showing just how, why we should mainstream this stuff. It's not, it's not a utopian project, it's not.
0: Yeah. yeah. I want to talk to you about kind of like scalability a bit later on in, in the show, but I've I've taken a lot of time to check out the project. I want to learn more about it, but Effectively, what you are, so you are a urban geographer turned MD at Greenpeace turned property developer. Effectively now, but you're carrying out property development rather than on a development by development basis. Kind of like a, at a neighbourhood level is what you're trying to achieve, and you have this rather large site in Lewis where you are rather than trying to deliver a single scheme or a housing estate, you're trying to create a neighbourhood. Talk to me about the neighbourhood. Describe it.
1: Well, we start with a big brownfield site, a load of industrial sheds. It used to be an iron foundry. It was a centre of industry. Um, There are a lot of small enterprises on here now, artists, some music studios, a community chef. We're on the edge of a town centre, a beautiful town centre, and we're also on the edge of the countryside. It's that big as a site, seven hectares. And so in a curious way, you have the best of all worlds. You've got, you can walk easily to all the higher order services that you need, and then you can walk at the other end of the site straight into countryside and into the South Downs. It's very compelling. And, and what we're doing is we're creating a modern urban neighborhood. We're creating a, a place with 700 uh, homes, mostly apartments, Smart grid, energy system, beautiful streets, uh, three squares, um, a health hub, co mobility services. What do you mean by beautiful streets? Sorry, Jonathan. So, streets are the biggest public spaces that we have. When you add up all the space that's in streets, it's much bigger than parks, for instance. And streets are, are really, you know, they're almost like where where society happens, or used to be. And now, because they've become car dominated, we think of them as roads, they're highway engineered, they've got all the clutter of signs and everything around. But you go to some of our finest old towns and cities, and the old medieval street network, with all that kind of almost more organic development, which is visually much more interesting, it's where people love to be, and uh, they love to be in the street they they like walking around, um, so, so how we, do
0: you make it beautiful what's it look like
1: yeah well, the proportions so you have a you have a hierarchy of streets you 've got your primary secondary tertiary and then you 're into passages and what what in Lewis they call twittens, which are these narrow, beautiful, narrow connections between you know between a block or a, a group of houses, and um, that usually end up in a pub or a park or Oh really, doing. yeah, <laughs> uh, someone quite alluring. What's beautiful about them is, yeah, the proportions, the relationship, landmarks that you're looking at from the street, plenty of places to sit down. Uh, they've got rain gardens that soak up water that runs off the hills, plenty of street trees, uh, bird boxes. The whole urban ecology—it's a place that's... And,
0: and, and the beauty comes as well, I guess, in the diversity. You talked about primary, secondary, and tertiary streets yeah, there. Whereas, if right. you think about, thank you, yes, exactly. If you think about the standard new build housing estate, there's a few house types, but then all the streets are the same size, exactly the same spec, aren't they? Yeah. So, and it's just yeah, same, right. same, 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 isn't it? And it's the it's same just tarmac, and exactly, and yeah. House. And it's yeah. the same in. So this Manchester is around Birmingham, wherever, the, the, right? Yeah, there's
1: no there's no parking on the streets uh, here apart from blue badge parking for people with disabilities. So all the, the, the car parking is very little of it, by the way, but is centralised in one place at the edge of the site by the main road, and so it, it's incredibly walkable. So there's a probably the world's most famous urban designer living today is a is a Danish uh, architect, Jan Gill, uh, lives in Copenhagen. Uh, and he's worked Had all over the world. Had to get wealth.
0: back to um, Scandinavia Reactive. in some shape or form, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, completely.
1: And and Yen Giel, his most famous book is called Life Between Buildings. And that's what this is. You, you, your master plan is about the life that happens in the streets and the squares. Uh, and the beauty comes from the people. It comes from the diversity, the social interaction, the the, the informal encounters, just seeing other humans. Diversity of people. And that's...
0: So how do you, how do you get around? You, you you talk to me offline about the the three minute neighbourhood as as you yeah. call it, and you've yeah. talked about having diverse um, array of streets, different types of streets, and no cars unless it's blue badge. All the cars are not off site, but on the site's edge. So how yeah, how do you right. get around?
1: Well, I mean it's all walkable. It's um, it's three minutes from one end of the site to the other. Um, for an able-bodied person otherwise you can be on an electric bike in an electric cargo bike which you can borrow or hire from the from the central mobility hub but yeah walking and cycling are the new alpha means of movement in in urban places the only way we'll get our carbon footprint down to what it needs to be which by the way is about 2.3 tons all the zero carbon stuff we hear about is slightly by the by it's that's like nowhere near what we, we, we need to do. And if, you know, about 20% of our carbon footprint is is transport. So if we just cut that by half in a neighbourhood like this, say, you're already saving 10% of your entire carbon footprint. So how do you do that?
0: Yeah, and, and so you talk about walking, cycling, is there scooters and stuff like that to get around on? Uma, the producer, will laugh because when we meet in london i often arrive on a hired scooter which he constantly teases me about but it's a good way to get around actually isn't it in london well i'm told i
1: don't use on myself but my son does actually and he um uh he was he was just in paris at the weekend and they were scooting around paris and and the mayor there has put in beautiful new cycling lanes and little pocket parks everywhere and he said it was just glorious and um so you know you just imagine a whole neighborhood where you're walking around your kids can play in the streets elderly people it's an incredible leveler right people can move around without fear there's no there's no local air pollution there's no noise it just is a place for people
0: it's it sounds amazing and unbelievably we're already at the end of the first half here jonathan but after the break let's i want to talk to you more about kind of House types, architects, how it actually all kind of fits together. But let's do that right after this break. Hello, it's me again. I wanted to share a quick story with you on why I co founded Ceiling with my best mate Chris. Chris and I, we're both QSs, and this is going to sound sad, but one night we were sat in the pub talking about subcontract tendering and we realised the industry had a problem. Number one, procurement was too paper-based. Number two, it was too time-consuming, and every QS had their own unique way of doing things. And number three, perhaps most importantly, if you want to competitively tender, you need to know hundreds of the best subcontractors. We simply didn't. That's why we created C-Link. It's software to solve subcontract tendering. We wanted to remove these challenges and help the industry get better. So if you... Well, someone you know tenders with subcontractors you've got to see our software head over to our link www.get.c-link.com forward slash podcast to find out more i will include it in the description box so again there's no excuses now let's get right back to the show there'll be developers listening that will think you know you kind of touched on it yourself utopian this sounds brilliant but how do we make this sounds like a great place to live sounds like it's going to be it sounds like it could be the future right as a a way of living and a more sustainable way of living and everyone's mindset is shifting how does we've got three different street types we've got your three minutes from anywhere you can walk around this neighborhood how does it look in terms of house types? How have you got architects involved? How does it look like that?
1: Yeah, well, we've got something like 21 different types of apartments and townhouses, duplexes here, so it's incredible choice. So we want it to be a place where, which would appeal to almost anyone. It, it won't appeal to someone who wants to park two cars on, on the drive in front of the house. There's plenty of you know, volume house builder estates where they can do that. Uh, but if you want a really livable livable, social neighbourhood where you get to know your neighbours and yet you've got lots of vivacity and life as well in the cafes and shops and facilities here and around the squares, then, then this is the place for you. We've got, um, yeah, we got 11 architects working on it and uh, that, that's really to bring the diversity, the, the texture and the, the quality. Lewis is a very, um, it's a very special cultural heritage where the architecture, certainly in the older parts, is very celebrated, and and a lot of it very old. But characteristically, it just has this wonderful diversity. And we're trying to capture that, but without being pastiche, by using lots of different architects. Because if you think, you know, again, we come back to some of the finer places, that they're not, elegance isn't really the thing. You know, you don't want something that's not Regent's Park. You don't want it... People are different now, right? There's lots of different types of tastes and, you know, judgment about what people like, and so we're just offering lots of choice in a very grainy, textured place, really kind of rich aesthetically, and um, that's that's our objective.
0: It's really interesting because, I mean, it's an amazing objective, and we had chap on the show fortnight ago 3 weeks ago who is a custom build developer he was talking about the fact that and I'm going to misquote the numbers as I always do but something like 90% of new build homes in the UK are delivered by seven companies therefore the diversity in portfolio and housing stock simply isn't there which everything that you you are describing Jonathan so you're describing a place where there's 21 different house types designed by 11 different architects. There is a richness in the diversity. It's a, And there's three different street types. Your, the mobility is totally unique. It sounds to me like an amazing place to live. And I can imagine that it's not going to feel like the stereotypical new-build housing estate that we all know. My question, though, I guess, is... The 11 architects, the 21 house types, it's kind of the opposite model of the new build house, which is three or four house types, same across the country. You've got mass, you get economies of scale, you churn them out, you make loads of money, right? I'm not saying that is the way that we should be operating. You've talked about shifting mentality and social imagination, all wonderful things, but how do you make it happen? How how do you make it commercially viable to have 11 architects, 21 else types, and three types of road? I can't, that's what I'm struggling to get my mind around. Yeah, sure.
1: Well, look, I mean, the volume house builders are in many ways not angels, but they're very rational and logical. They pay an absolute fortune for land uh, up front because everyone knows that they can build cheaply. And so the money goes, a lot, too much money goes into the land in the first instance. So the landowners, and, and you know, the big agents like Savills and Co., they they work with the landowners. They know exactly what a Taylor Wimpy or a persimmon can build for. they, they know that they want to make you know 25% profit on their development, where you know, we'll work for a lot less than that. Because, you know, we don't need that 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 kind of scale of profits enough. So it isn't actually that much more expensive in the end, because you're not one, you're not paying as much for land, and secondly, it's definitely more expensive to build, but I'll come back to that in a minute because we have to standardize our construction systems behind the facades of the the architecture. So every building isn't wholly bespoke; it's a, 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 an engineered timber exoskeleton that is essentially cut by robots in Switzerland, Austria, or Finland.
0: Uh, Sc- ret- oh, that's not Scandinavia, technically, uh, yeah. is it? Finland. Well,
1: no, I think it is. <laughs> and um, is it? <laughs> And then we make, um, the intention is to make local timber cassettes on site with natural materials, including Sussex timber, actually, of which there's a, there's a great deal. But we, you know, we need a better timber industry in this country. It's more of a kind of folksy thing, and mostly in Scotland. But Sussex is the second most wooded county in England. So, and then the other thing we do is we, we work with density and actually people, Density with amenity and when it's really well-designed, people love it. it. It's a more urban experience, for sure. Uh, but, you know, we need to use brownfield land really wisely. We need to use land generally really wisely in a, when, when we've got a nature crisis, not just a climate crisis. We need more shared living. So the density gives us an advantage as well. And then, yeah, not everything is individual. So 21 types, but the construction systems are probably four types. Uh, and the, the, the honing of that while you're designing with world-class engineers and world-class timber specialists is the key to cost-effective construction. So that, that that's your answer. Slightly less profit, pay less for land, uh, work with your landowners, a bit denser, more urbane, more quality, compact living, more ethical profit,
0: about works out but no we 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 can't the list is endless that is really interesting though what you're saying about the big house builders and the land agents and how they are paying more front end that does make a lot of sense it's it's fascinating it is really really fascinating do you see how do you this is the first development of this nature that you have done is that right yeah how Mm. do you see it scaling how do you see it rolling out then beyond just the phoenix project in in a
1: number of ways so we have three parts to our business one is large scale development so we're looking for other opportunities at the neighborhood scale Uh, we're looking at new settlements um you know small town scale which we have a slightly different model for Uh, we're developing typologies methodologies methodologies construction systems within this project which can then be transplanted into any neighbourhood anywhere. Engineered timber apartments, which are regenerative. They're not just carbon neutral, or you know, the, the embodied carbon is turned around. It actually is taking carbon out of the atmosphere. So these these typologies can be built in anyone's neighbourhood. You know, we can retrofit with these products. And then the third thing is ventures. So we're developing co-mobility services, so car club, car hire car share app, electric bikes, electric cargo bikes, car fixing, car repair, car valeting in a mobility hub. And, and, and that's the solution to every town in Britain's mobility problems. Every, so rather than just do it as a nice utopian thing, which we're not at all utopian, we're completely determined to destroy constructively the dominant model in development in this country. So we want the communalist service for us are a strategic business. They're not. It's not a hobby. It's not something we're doing to be nice in this project. It's a damn. <laughs> it's a damn exciting business in its own well, right.
0: Well, I, t- I tell you what. You know, listening to what you have said today about not being utopian, changing the social imagination as you as you framed it, you've changed my opinion because I believed. This, you know, when I was taking a step back and looking at this project, I was thinking, wow, it looks like an absolutely incredible place. But I've got these, que- I'm a QS, I've got these questions about how you scale it, how does it become commercially viable. But in effect, you you want to create these incredible neighbourhoods um, with diversity in design, etc, etc, etc. But you do also kind of want to learn some of the things that have been beneficial from house building and those big developers where you can get economies of scale. It's just we're getting economies of scale for the wrong thing, effectively, is what you're kind of alluding to, right?
1: Well, I mean, I've spent 20 years working for all of these guys, you know, massive global developers, big public sector bodies, regeneration companies, the biggest housing associations, some volume house builders. So we understand their model. We we understand their economics to a large extent. We're hard bitten. We're not. There's no flakiness in this. It's completely rigorous on the economics. Although, otherwise, we wouldn't be here. You know, we have major. In, we have investors. We have. We, we you know we paid millions, millions for land. Uh, this is not. We're not larking around. This is ac- extremely <laughs> serious. And um, yes. you know, one of the great things about. Uh, Michael Gove and, and the new version of Homes England now is that is that they realise that that we need to disrupt the supply side of housing if we're going to build the number that we need and if we're going to deal with the climate crisis uh, and and build quality and beauty as as government would have it. I'm not sure you know I'm not sure that we all agree on what beauty is, but um it's
0: a, it's a it's a that's the whole reason you need diversity though right i, I think it is and i i think
1: i think there is a sort of minimal beauty that that you can define and that is quite objective and after that i think there's choice um but now look this is dead serious stuff it's it's dead serious economically because we absolutely it's not that human nature wants to become a great big company but we want the model and the ventures to be influential uh, if we can become a huge global corporation in the meanwhile being slightly ironic then fine but it's not it's not the overriding <laughs> objective the overriding objective is to have a great change business and and disrupt and create a fantastic new set of models social imagination. But, this, but but in the end the social imagination that's people start thinking you know what we want more of this sustainability stuff because it's it's a great way
0: to live it resonates it really does resonate and We've talked about kind of 700 new homes, and you said people wouldn't want to live there if they want to have two cars on the drive. Who are the kinds of... But you also want to have this eclectic mix of people in the neighbourhood for obvious reasons. Who who do you expect to attract to the development? How do you attract people to the development? Yeah. Well,
1: I mean, the first thing to say is that it needs to be a mixed-income community. You want people of all... Um, backgrounds and income groups you've got your social housing your shared ownership your affordable housing private rent the tenure types and the pricing is really key but all mixed in together as it were in the neighborhood and so you know before you even start a third of your homes are effectively sold because you you know they're they're basically affordable and social Uh, not not very difficult to finance these days Uh, actually there's lots of strategic investors that like the long-term revenue that, that come from that type of housing, which is great. So then, you, you, you know, you're selling two-thirds. Well, we've already got 200 people have put their names down through public consultation that wanna live here. So you're already, you know, that gives you then, well, 420, we've only got another 250. I, I, not that we've sold them yet, they've put their names down. But the point is, it's, it's really clear already that the appetite to live in a place like this is huge um the people people are really smart right if you give them choice they're really smart do you want to live in a a modern scandinavian style apartment with dual aspect, proper proportions a decent balcony a shared garden nice streets good materials made of timber or do you yes, want yes please yes yes <laughs> but exactly it's like look, I, i'm not claiming that Everyone wants to live in an urban neighbourhood. Either I think there are all sorts of models that can be developed for villages and for bigger cities and so on, and are being developed. But um, if you do, this type of neighbourhood has massive advantages. Massive advantages.
0: It's almost not rocket science, is it, to see why people would want a new this new social imagination that you keep on referring to, Johnson. Is it? A, are you going to live there? Is it a development that you're going to be drawn to yourself?
1: It's a bit like living above the shop, isn't it? I don't know. I live very
0: close. <laughs> that, is, that is true. Yeah,
1: it's a bit of a challenge in a
0: sense, you know. But
1: I, I, it's really nice to be able to say it's our town as well. That nearly all the people that work here live in Lewis, and um, our headquarters is in Lewis. It is going to continue to be our headquarters, even when we're developing in Malmo and um, Uppsala uh, and Scotland. But um I think it suits retired people really well. You know, it's not it's not about gardens, it's about great plumbing, affordable renewable energy, good kitchens, good social spaces, being close to amenities. You know, it's um yeah, it's very desirable, I think.
0: Absolutely. My final question for you, Jonathan. It has been a uh, eye-opening uh or thought-provoking. It's been many things, actually, this co- this conversation. It's uh, been really, really interesting. As someone at the heart of this sustainable business, as someone previously managing director at Greenpeace, are you personally optimistic about our future in response to everything that's going on with the climate? How do you feel about it?
1: I'm not really, actually, no. I am... Um... I think, I think one has to try to be, but I, I have to say that, you know, you look at the COP27 meeting that's happening at the moment, and, um, the, you know, the, you look at the science, and the, on current policies, we're at least 2.6 degrees of, of warming, and potentially 3.7, and 3.7, it's all bets are off, and, that, and that's, that's just real world, there's no, I'm not being a Cassandra, I'm not trying to scare anyone, so, so, you know, a project like this, we have to get our carbon footprints down to 2.3 tonnes. And actually what we can demonstrate in this neighbourhood is that you can actually do that really easily, but you need the neighbourhood to help you with its renewable energy systems and its its uh, regenerative buildings and the cafes that are tuned to regenerative farms in Sussex and all of that. But um, in 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 that way, you can then get your carbon footprint right down and live a great life. That's the social
0: imagination. So actually, this is kind of one of the things at the heart, it's, it is we have to shift the imagination, that's your wholehearted belief, we have to completely, even what, everything that we're yeah, doing we today is not we, enough.
1: Look, this is a really hard-nosed project, we're really not messing around, it's very clear about its purpose, and unless we can remake our neighborhoods where people live, make it relatable, you know, we don't, it can't all be about science and policy. It has to be, it has to live for people in their real lives now and make a difference and, and build that energy and dynamism and positivity. If we can do that, and we can do it at speed, uh, hence the, the work that we do on type, typologies and methodologies rather than everything being bespoke, is uh, an open source. So, you know, when we designed all this stuff, it's available to anyone and we learn from we stand on the shoulders of thousands of amazing engineers and designers and builders who have got incredible respect for um, and collaborate with many of them to to create things that can be repeated really quickly if we can do that uh, and build this wave of positivity but be real about it be real about it so this is massive change and it's fast Let's just make sure the massive change is really appealing and it's not a threat.
0: Well, I am wishing you all the best in your endeavours with it for every reason, uh, for obvious reasons, sorry. It seems to me like you are really championing potential change for us. And you've shifted my mentality just in this conversation, Jonathan. So. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I'm going to share details about the project and about your business um, so people can go and have a look in the description of the podcast. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Paul, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. And guys, as ever, I will speak to you again next week. Have a good week ahead. Cheers.